The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City. Uh, please stand with me for the reading of 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 35. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I Do give an opinion as one by the Lord's mercy is faithful because of the present distress. I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't own anything. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I am saying this for you, For your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. This is the word of the Lord. What's up, fam? Some of you don't know who I am. I have not been here in a while. My name is Jared. I have the privilege, the honor of being one of your pastors here. It is a great pleasure to see you all again. It's good just to be home. It feels like it's been a long time because it has. Well, good morning again. Welcome to the Burbank location of Story City Church. We say Burbank location because we also have a Granada Hills location meeting this morning. And together, we are a family of churches that make up Story City Church. We want you to know that your story is welcome here. Whether you have been hurt by the church and you're tentatively trying this out again, whether you've been apprenticing Jesus for your whole life Uh, whether you are somewhere in between. We want you to know that your story matters and your story is a part of God's story for uh, the city of Burbank, for Granada Hills, and the greater Los Angeles area. We're glad you're here. We want you to know that we are becoming a family that's learning how to have healthy relationships with Jesus and others. We say learning because that doesn't come naturally. It's something that we have to work out. But we're here not so that Story City can make some name for itself. That's not what's important to us. We don't want to be the center of the story because humans are not the center of God's story. Jesus is. See, the gospel is that God himself has come to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus. That because of the sins we chose and the sins we were born into, we were dead spiritually. We had no hope of waking ourselves from our spiritual death, but Jesus took the punishment that was due us, the wrath of God, off of us, and he fulfilled the law's requirements. 
In doing so, he ushered in a new kingdom where those who apprentice him as Lord and God and King over every aspect of their lives, who confess him above themselves, become citizens of this new kingdom and are considered justified and righteous because of what he's done, not because of our own works or efforts. But he goes further than that. He doesn't just justify us. He makes us adopted sons and daughters. It's one of the reasons Story City cares so much about adoption and foster care because we are modeling who Jesus is and what he has already done for us. And as people apprentice Jesus, he, through the Holy Spirit, continues to restore our brokenness and make us more and more like the way that he intended us to be. And because we're now adopted into God's family, that makes us brothers and sisters in the same family. Doesn't mean we all get along. It just means we're brothers and sisters in the same family, just like every other family. We have our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. But when we become the church is because we are already brothers and sisters on the same mission and purpose. So what is that mission? What has God called Story City to? What has he called his church to? He's called us to model who God is as family, servant, missionary, to show and teach others about Jesus, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to love God with everything we are and have, and to love our neighbors in the same way we love ourselves. That is what we're doing here this morning. That's what Story City is all about. And so if you are here, you're a part of Story City, we want you to know that is the mission. That's what we are all about. That's what you're committed to doing and being. Good? If not, it's happening anyway, so welcome. We're glad you guys are here. Let's go back and remind ourselves of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 25 to 35. It says this. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Because of the present distress, I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited, so from now on, those who have wives should be as if they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not own anything, and those who use the world as, they, uh, as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but the married, married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in body and spirit, but the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper so that you may be devoted to the Lord Without distraction. Now, if you want to know more about what he's talking about, I highly encourage you to go back and listen a couple weeks ago about what a healthy marriage is and the way that that works between the two because that clears up some of that language and you're like, what is he talking about? Again, uh, two weeks ago, aligning with God's heart for a healthy marriage will help clarify some of that. Don't have time to go into that today because we have a lot more scripture to get to, but Paul jumps right in there, right, with virgins. Like, he just, he's just there. It's a good thing that we don't have to teach on any of the hard stuff here. Super convenient for me, right? Uh, but as a reminder, Paul is, in this section of his letter, he's answering questions the church in Corinth has written to him about. 
he's answering some of these things. He's saying, look, this is how it works because they're asking, like, how do we live our lives in the context of this culture that we live in? Like, what does it mean? They didn't grow up Jewish. The church in Corinth are converts to Christianity, so they don't have all this background. They're like, hey, we live in a place that's much like Los Angeles. That was actually in their letter to him. And uh, they were like, we, we, you know, this is a culture-making town. It's a young town. There's a lot happening. We're trying to figure out, like, do we just add Jesus to our life, or is there something else going on here? And, and Paul is trying to help them weigh through these matters and say, look, Jesus can't be something you add. Jesus' kingdom is actually upside down. And so some of the very things that you hold on to are things that you have to let go of and things that you weren't aware you needed to grab onto, you need to grab onto, but this is the way that we live out Jesus in this cultural context. And it actually makes a lot more sense. And so that all of our... Uh, all of us has to be invested into this kingdom of God. For those of you taking notes today, this brings us to our big idea for the day. This is our big idea for the day. As apprentices, we must be single-minded. See what I did right there? Single-minded. All right, there you go. My singles are like, yes, he mentioned us today. Single-minded in our devotion to Jesus. As apprentices, we must be single-minded in our devotion to Jesus. We're going to see how God's kingdom reshapes the things that we're devoted to, that whether we're single or married, we must be first devoted to Jesus. That's actually how healthy relationships work, and that all of our devotion requires single-minded urgency. Okay, that's, the, that's what's going to happen today. This is where we're going. But before we go further, I want you to open your Bibles, and I want you to circle some lines from the passage we read today. I promise you, you don't go to hell for writing in your Bible, okay? It's a good thing, underline, highlight. Uh, a lot of you guys are uh, uh, digital use only. That's totally fine. But there is something cool about having your Bible there that you can write in. And when you're flipping to it, finding areas, you're like, oh, God spoke to me in that moment or I remember something. It refreshes our memory. So I would encourage you, they have these great Bibles now. My personal Bible has margins on the side. And I write notes in the, uh, it's a journaling Bible, I write notes in the side that remind me of something God was doing or showing me. So I would just say, if you get a chance, grab one of those. It is helpful to your development and growth as a Christian. But here's the deal. I want you to underline or highlight in verse 26 where it says, because of this present distress, because of this present distress in verse 26. In verse 29 where it says, time is limited. Underline, circle, highlight that. So, verse 26, where it says, because of this present distress, underline, circle that. Verse 29, where it says, time is limited, underline or circle that. And verse 31, where he writes, for this world in its current form is passing away. Underline or circle that. Those three things we're going to return to because they undergird this passage. They help us to frame and understand how Paul is speaking to us. The tone and the language he's using is going to be undergirded by those three statements. And so we're going to come back to that. Uh, for now, though, let's tackle verses 25 to 28. Verses 25 to 28. Now, we have an unusual statement from Paul. An unusual statement from Paul. He tells us that God has not given him a specific ruling on this topic. So remember, they asked a question. He's answering. But when he answers, he says, hey, God kind of left this one up in the air for me. So I'm going to give you an answer, but it's not a command from God. So what he does is he puts this advice in the category of a proverb. A proverb is a wise saying that is generally too true and beneficial, but is not a promise. You know the book of Proverbs? 
is not promises. It's wise sayings that are generally true, generally the way the world works, but they're not guaranteed. For instance, Proverbs 22.6, start a youth out on its way. When he grows old, he will not depart from it. Some of you have raised kids that you did the best you could, and they did not listen to you. Generally, though, if you invest in your children, it does have good outcomes. That's a proverb. It's a wise saying, something we should focus on, but it doesn't guarantee the outcome. So Paul is saying the same thing here. He's saying this is generally a true and beneficial statement. I'm not promising it's always going to work. I'm not promising this is always what you should do. I'm just saying this is a wise saying here, a wise way of looking at something that's beneficial. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but here's my opinion. Because of the present distress, we'll come back to that, I think it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Don't seek a wife. Don't freak out. Just keep doing what you're doing. However, if you do get married... You haven't sinned. It's not a big deal. If a virgin marries, she's not sinned. Guys, girls, it's okay. Everything's fine. But such trouble, such people will have trouble in this life. I'm trying to spare you. And he's going to clarify what he means by that. So verse 25 reminds us that this is a question Paul is answering. The question being asked is really, hey, what's, what's important with all that's coming? With everything that's kind of happening, and again, we'll get back to that. What, what should we be focusing on is, is, like, do we need to change up the way that we're doing things? What about the future for our virgins? Okay, in the original language, the word for virgin means an unmarried, i.e., single woman. Okay? Now, built into this idea is that she's chaste because she's single. That's the assumption. So, a celibate single woman is what we mean when we say virgin in this context. Okay? It's not like... There's like this harem over here, and there's like, you know, okay, what do we do with our virgins? It just means what do we do with our single celibate women? What do we do with these? What, what do we do with these? That sounded like an objectifying statement. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> what do we do with these things? <laughs> I am sorry. That is not what I was intending to say. The Bible is perfect. Your pastor is not, people. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Recover. We got this. Paul continues his thought in verse 26 when he gets to the single dudes, right? He's saying the same thing, celibate, single man. In verse 27, he goes further to include those who are engaged. Now, engagement then is not what it is today, right? In Paul's day, engagement wasn't a title that you gave to somebody to stop them from bugging you to get off your back and to pressure them to make them feel like the relationship's gone somewhere when you're just trying to put them off for another five years. Engagement was actually contractual. It required a divorce to break the engagement. And so when he's talking about, hey, like, we're, we're engaged. I'm legally obliged to this man, to this woman. What, what, what do we do? Do we get a divorce to stop this? Like, do we keep moving forward? What's going on? That is the question that is being asked. And Paul says, look, don't rush to end it. Don't rush to start it. Just keep doing what you're doing. But if you do get engaged and married in the middle of all this, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. It's a proverb, not a command, so it's not a sin. Okay, so we get who Paul is talking to, but what is Paul actually saying here? And this brings us to our first observation for the day. God's kingdom reshapes what we devote ourselves to. God's kingdom, his 
values, the way that God sees people and the world and our relationship to him reshapes what is important. And so because God values things differently, we must value the things God does, which means we must be devoted to the things that God calls important. Now, what Paul does here, though, is stunning. And I don't want us to miss this because we look at things through Western eyes. We look at things from a modern perspective. I want us to stop for a second and see this. Paul is telling us that in God's economy, singleness and marriage are of the same value. That in God's economy, singleness and marriage are of the same value. You see, in biblical times, marriage and children were seen as God's blessing, as God's favor on you. To remain unmarried was a mark of something wrong with you or that you were out of God's favor. There was some sort of something that had happened. Maybe you had done something wrong or your parents had done something wrong or there was something that was keeping you from God's blessing. To be honest, that's still how we make our singles feel today. In their book, Singled out, authors Christine Cullen and Bonnie Field write, marriage and sex are blessings given by God. But by overemphasizing them, we place huge pressures on Christian married couples to live up to these unrealistic expectations. We encourage individuals to use sex as a means of trying to find fulfillment for other aspects of their lives, and we leave singles feeling like second-class citizens who will never be fully functioning human beings, let alone Christians if they don't get married. So there's this elevation as family, as the pinnacle of Christian living, which purposeful or not is actually not aligned with Scripture. But it it also leaves singles feeling less than or damaged if for some reason they uh, don't end up in a marriage relationship. We sort of subcategorize them as, uh, as less than the regular people in our church. Now, again, it's not intentional, but... This creates a culture where those who are single by choice or not single by choice feel like there's something wrong with them. And that's a broken way of looking at it because that feeling isn't just something that they need to get over. It's just not something they're doing. We as pastors, I do this myself. I, I, I still struggle with it. I'm trying to remember, but it's a struggle because my own life comes with a marriage and kids, it's easy for me to find examples where I'm speaking from things that are relevant to my own life. And it's hard to remember that the examples I have to use have to be relevant ones to people in all life circumstances. But it goes beyond the pastor's sermon illustrations. It goes to when we as married couples are like, oh, I just want the best for you and and I'm trying to hook you up with somebody or I ask questions like, well, are you actually putting yourself out there? Or when we as a church create single ministries that are actually more, you know, Christian mingle than something else. We've actually marginalized and trivialized something that Jesus never intended us to do. Lest we forget Jesus was single. Dan Brown aside, Jesus was single. And so when we approach singleness from a marriage as a pinnacle perspective, the only answer we can give single people then is that, hey, uh, marriage is the path to intimacy and community and it's the only found in marriage. It's only completed in marriage. And so we're left to fix their problem by saying either get married or Jesus is all you need. But Jesus is our fulfillment, not our boyfriend. I'm going to say that again. 
Jesus is our fulfillment, not our boyfriend. Clone and Field write, marriage cannot be the ultimate cure for loneliness as so many try to suggest it is. Do many singles feel lonely on a Friday night as they sit watching bad reality television while seemingly the rest of the world is contentedly commuting with their families or experiencing blissful romantic dates? Yes, but so do many married men and women discover, often to their surprise, that their spouses do not fulfill their deepest needs. Only God will ever know the deepest recesses of each of our hearts. So ultimately, each of us will remain to one extent or another one extent or another, lonely in this world as we come to recognize again and again that only in eternity with Christ will we ever feel completely known and loved. Marriage may, not be, an, marriage may be an image of Christ's love for his church, but it cannot fulfill our deepest longings completely. I'm going to go further and say we actually sin when we try to use our spouse to fill those deepest needs in the place of Christ. I was talking with a guy this week He's in his mid-30s and he's having sort of a crisis. God has brought him to his knees and he said, I, I have pursued a wife with everything that I am. Every piece of me I have pursued a wife and it hasn't happened. And he said, I was frustrated with God because it wasn't happening for me. And when God brought him to his knees, he had this revelation. He said, you know, Jared, I have never pursued a woman just for her. I'm realizing now that I've never pursued a woman just for who she is. He has only pursued women as an answer to his image problem. He so elevated this idea of being a happy married man with children, especially as it relates to ministry, that you must be married and have children and have a healthy, balanced life, that he devalued the woman because he was elevating the idea. Now, he's fully repented, and he's reevaluating everything in light of this newfound humility, but this was a crushing blow to his understanding of what he's been doing for a very long time, and I would say this is not an uncommon problem. It wasn't uncommon in Paul's day, and it's not uncommon in our day. See, Paul points out here that focusing on marriage as the pinnacle of achievement is going to interfere with what we are called to. And Paul now elevates our calling in Christ above marriage. Now, he's not saying that you focus on your calling and you ignore your marriage. He's saying you now have to contend with both your calling and you have to do it through the context of your marriage if you're married, whereas if you're single, you don't have to do that. So he's saying, hey, it's easier to focus when you're not as distracted but listen, I'm not saying you can't be. I'm just saying, here's the truth of the circumstances. Make sense? That brings us to our next section of this passage. For those of you taking notes today, this is our second observation. Whether we are single or married, whether we are single or married, we must first be devoted to Jesus. We must be first devoted to Jesus, whether we are single or married. Look at the next few verses with me, verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited, so from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as if they didn't own anything, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. Now, 
We're going to explain this. What he's not saying here, I don't want to go any farther. What he's not saying is pretend like you don't have a wife. You heard me, right, guys? <laughs> Be clear. I don't want to angry wife emails, okay? He's not saying pretend if you don't have a wife. He's not saying don't ever weep again. He's not saying you can't rejoice again. He's not saying that the stuff that you buy is worthless. He's not saying don't try to make your way in the world. What he's doing is giving us a different perspective. We're going to get into that. Verse 32, I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Again, this goes back to what Paul has just talked about a couple chapters before, chapter 5, about what it means to have a healthy marriage, and his interests are dividing, and they're rightly divided. They are rightly so divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be both holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Again, chapter 5, I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you. So what he's saying is, I'm not trying to bind you to this. I'm trying to help you with this. This is freedom he's giving us, not rules that constrain us. He says, I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint, but to promote what is proper so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. See, verse 35 is the key to understanding what Paul's trying to get to. In verse 32, Paul says he wants us to be without concerns. And that word concerns communicates worry about the future and leads to verse 34, divided interests. As one author writes, Paul wants us to focus on the single theme of the need to avoid whatever distracts the Christian from single-minded service to the Lord. This may take the form of preoccupations about possessions, property, business, and all the married responsibilities entail for maintaining the household in decent living conditions. Or general anxieties about relationships, including anxiety about how to please a wife or anything that causes the Christian to be pulled in two directions. Now, Paul applies this mutually. The woman who has become married is anxious about the affairs of the world and how she is to be pleasing her husband. It's both. He's not saying this applies to the man or to the woman. He's saying this is the reality of what you're facing. And he culminates this in verse 35 statement that it's proper to be focused and devoted to the Lord first and without distraction. Now we know from Paul's statements before that that's actually the proper way that we see marriage. When we are devoted to God first, the outpouring of our relationship to God leads to a healthier marriage anyway. And so when we put God first in our marriages, we see a healthier putting each other first and service to each other that relates to a healthier relationship. And so he's not contradicting himself in any way. He's saying this is still where that focus needs to be. It just takes more work when you have divided attentions. He's saying that if we're married, he knows the things that we will always battle with will will always be a fight to figure out where our first priority is. But our first priority should and is Jesus. By elevating singleness to the same status as marriage, Paul changes the principle of Christian marriage uh, from Christian living from marriage and children to becoming spiritually mature apprentices of Jesus. Now again, two weeks ago we talked about how procreation uh, was a part of the process of marriage that helped fulfill the old covenant. But in Galatians 3.16, Paul points out to the promise of the covenant to Abraham and his offspring. And that word offspring is singular. The word is singular, meaning it points directly to Jesus as the offspring of the covenant. 
Galatians 3.29, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant and the true and better Abraham. That means that all new creation comes through Christ. And if we're in Christ, then we are new creations. We are reborn as new citizens in the family of God, like I talked about at the beginning of the service. This means the new covenant and the new kingdom allows singles to be just as blessed as those who are married and have children. In fact, I would argue the call to raise spiritual children becomes even more important. Spiritual children are made through discipleship. Now, Paul, as an example, constantly calls the churches he starts and the pastors he disciples his children in the faith. Jesus, in Matthew 28, requires us to make spiritual children through discipleship. And so while marriage can be an example of godliness and help raise up Jesus' apprentices, Pastor Sam Albury writes, what transforms us into mature Christians are not the externals of marriage or singleness, but the work we allow God to do in our hearts. Marriage cannot be the answer to spiritual maturity. But see, there's another reason that Paul gives us this answer. And for those taking notes today, this is our third and final observation for the day. Devotion requires single-minded urgency. Devotion requires single-minded urgency. We don't talk enough about urgency in today's culture. We talk a lot about rest. We talk a lot about self-care. We talk a lot about slowing down. But there is a sense of urgency that is very clearly communicated in Paul's message here. Now, there's some arguments from scholars. If the statement's in verse 26, um, where it says, because of this present distress, verse 29, where it says time is limited, in verse 31, where he writes, for this world in its current form is passing away, is about an impending current event. Some scholars say that they knew there was a growing famine that would seriously impact their ability to take care of their families, or whether he's simply talking about how everything has changed in the light of the coming of the kingdom of God. But because Paul seems to use both connotations in his choice of verbs, I believe that he's answering the questions in both ways. I think he's speaking of both. I think he's answering an immediate need that they see coming. There's going to be really difficult times coming. We know that Jesus promised the destruction of the temple. We know that in just a few short years, the destruction of Rome was coming. There is a tension building in the kingdom of Rome that they would have been feeling and facing and understanding. At the same time, Paul is also talking about how the kingdom that was is not what is. There is a new kingdom Jesus has ushered in, and we are in these latter days, these times where the end is coming. Jesus has ushered a new kingdom in, and new ways of doing things have happened. The new covenant is being established. And because Paul is answering this in both ways, I think, he's, I think they're asking, hey, with this really difficult time coming, is it worth getting married? What do we do with our engaged people? And Paul's response is to reframe this question with what's important. And he says, look, that's not what's important. What's important is no matter what you do to get your eyes, your effort, your devotion focused on Jesus as our firm priority. No matter what your circumstances are. But I don't want us to miss Paul's urgency. Author Anthony Thistleton writes, the tone of verse 31 is distinctly eschatological. It means the end times. The external structure of this world are slipping away. 
And together with the coming of the event of the fall of Jerusalem in 87, famine and other large-scale disasters, it's seen as pointing beyond the present realities that will confront the world in the final coming of Christ and the last judgment. Luther holds these together. We must reckon with hardship, but also with the fact that all Christians are like guests on the earth. There is an urgency to our present circumstances. Yes, we are here, but there also is what's coming in God's kingdom. Family, sometimes we live in a place where we do not have a sense of urgency for those around us. We do not have a sense of urgency. None of us are guaranteed time. See, the truth for Paul and the truth for us is us is that we must live with a sense of urgency. We cannot guarantee our time on earth for us or for those we love. We do not know. If we are not fully and completely devoted to Jesus and introducing people to Jesus and raising them up as spiritually mature apprentices to Jesus, then we are distracted in a way that Paul is trying to correct in the Corinthians and in us. So the question I have for us, the challenge that I have for us, whether single or married this week, family, we have to be honest with ourselves and evaluate if we are single-minded in our devotion to Jesus or are we distracted by everything else in our lives? Not that those distractions are bad things, but are we putting Jesus first? Are we spending time reading God's word and learning about him so that he reshapes what we are devoted to? And we must do all of this with a sense of real single-minded priority and urgency. I challenge you this week. Take some time. Spend some time thinking about where you're at because I believe God wants to show you and he wants to do something amazing as you prioritize him first in your life. If you want to know more about this or what your next steps are in following Jesus, I want to encourage you to go to the next steps table. It's on your way out. It's the same tent as the welcome table when you first came in. To find somebody in a pink lanyard, they would love to continue this conversation with you. For now, we're going to move into a time of communion. Communion is a 2,000-year-old tradition that Jesus established. It's one of the sacraments. There is something special that happens in the middle of communion. Matthew 26, 26 to 28 says this, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it, and gave it to the disciples. He said, take it, take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Family, in life, we can only go so long without food and water before we face the reality of death. In the same way, Jesus tells us we must abide in him. We must be connected continually to him like the branch to the vine. We must feed on Jesus or face spiritual withering and lack of fruit. We die. William Farley writes, to abide literally means to dwell in. We dwell in Christ by abiding in the truth of the gospel. So this morning as you come forward to take the juice and the bread, as you walk back to your seat, before you take the elements with your family or friends or community group or whatever else, reflect on the gospel that despite our rebellion and the wrath that we deserve, God himself came to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus. We are his adopted and beloved children called to his mission as we love Jesus and our neighbors. For those of you who need a gluten-free option, it's stage right 
just over here. I'm going to pray for us and we'll get started with communion. Father, thank you for your incredible grace. I thank you for the ways that you have given us the ability to focus on you. Not that we can do it in our own efforts, but you've given us your spirit to walk us through, to guide us, to lead us in the ways that we should go. Help us to be sensitive and to be good listeners, to good students as we focus our minds on you. Help us to want what you want, to love what you love, to go where you go. In the name of Jesus, amen.